You are creatures who seek after joy and pleasure. When you woke up this morning, were you filled with a deep gladness because you were on your way here and you knew that once you arrived, you would hear of the wonders of who God is, what he's done for you, and it would fill you with a deep joy and gladness, which caused an excitement. There is a childlike excitement that we are meant to have when we know we are coming gaze upon, to hear of the wonders of who God is and what he's done for us. Now, there always seems to be something that happens. There's something in the air right before a concert. There's something in the air right before kickoff time. And there's something strange that happens to women when they're about to go into Target. There's just an excitement. Now, perhaps we don't feel this excitement on the way to church on Sunday mornings because we don't feel like we have a stake in it. But if you're a Christian, you have a stake in all of this. The church is yours. The kingdom of God is yours. The city of heaven dwelling on the earth is yours. You are a citizen of heaven on the earth. Your stake is great in all of this. What I'd like to propose is that the measure of the current health, spiritual health within you can be seen by the level of excitement and gladness that you have on your way here. We're in our series. What you will find is the full range of human emotions. We're going to be reading through as these mature people of faith are expressing the deep joy that they have in God. But they're also expressing a deep sorrow. They're, dis- they're exclaiming this depression that they have. They're, they're yelling at God in their frustration at him in what's happening in their life and how they don't feel he is showing up when they feel like they need him most. The full range of human emotions are found right here in the Psalms. And in the Psalms, you have permission to let God have it. But in the Psalms, you also see that God prepares you for him to let you have it. In the Psalms, you're going to hear words that help you get real with God. But you're also going to hear words about God getting real with you. And the the collection of Psalms that we're going to be going through, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, are known as the Psalms of Ascents. A sense is the technical word for a pilgrimage. So each year, up to three times a year, all of God's people, the Israelites, would take this pilgrimage to go to the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of peace. And there, once there, they would travel up to the mountain of Zion, and there they would worship God. And the songs that we're singing through this, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, are songs they would sing on the road to help give them the courage and the strength to press on. When everything tells them, turn back, go home, the road is too hard, the psalms are there to help them press forward. In the same way, the psalms are there for you as you are traveling on to the pilgrimage you're taking home, but there are multiple pilgrimages along the way where you are spiritually discovering God in the city of joy like you had not done before. These are songs for us to sing 
on our pilgrimage through this life. And here's what this road will do. As you sing these songs on this road, the road will make you homesick for a home that you have not yet been to. Because somehow on the road, in the distance, you see what you're made for. You realize on this road, this is not your home. And so you begin longing for the home that you've never been to. And you become joy sick on this road for a joy that you've only tasted a shadow of. You've seen a bit of it, a glimmer of it, but it gives you something. It gives you hope. And hope has a way of giving you today what it promises to give you in the future. Hope has a way of giving you today what it promises to give you on in the future. And that is what you discover on this road. So our, our psalm, this is our third one in the series, Psalm 122. Here it is. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now this says that this is a psalm of David. And this is, David starts off speaking of the gladness that he has to go to the house of the Lord. There's an excitement that is in him. Now we have a problem here. Because David did not build the temple. His son Solomon built the temple. So there's two things that could be happening here. Either David is referring to the tent where God's people would go and considered that the house of God. Or this isn't a psalm of David, but a psalm to David. Meaning all the Israelites past David are thinking about this king, the first, this great king of Israel. And his great dream was to build a temple where God's presence would be known. Everything he wanted. But his son did it. So these people are on the road singing the psalm thinking, what would it be like for David to be on this road with us? For this man who so desperately wanted to build the house of God, for him to walk in to the city of God and see this beautiful temple built where God's people are all gathering and flourishing together, what would it be like for David? He would be so glad. Either way, whether this is a psalm of David or to David, what we do know is that David is a man whose excitement for God, God's city, and God's house is unmatched. There's a story about David where the Ark of the Covenant, which represents all the presence of God in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was lost and it's brought back to its rightful place. And David starts dancing in his priestly garments, which essentially means he's dancing around in his skivvies in public. And his wife is like, what are you doing? And she's, she's shaking her fist at him. And he says, you think that's something? I will be even more undignified and unabandoned than this. Now, I am not saying for you to be so eager to get here on Sunday mornings that you don't bother putting on your clothes and you just show up in your underwear or your skivvies. Attendance might go up, but 
that's not what you should be doing. However, David, what is clear about him is that he has not found a dull religion. And he has not found empty rituals. He has found a joy that has been set before him. The greatest treasure that he has been looking for all of his life. He's found it in God, in the temple of God, and he is so excited to be there. So he dances. That is what worship is. He dances with praise, with worship. Praise or worship is when you hold on to joy. When you hold on to the greatest joy that the world has ever known, when you hold it, it makes you want to worship. It makes you want to praise God. And this is why this song sounds like a love song written to the city of Jerusalem. It sounds like a love song that's written to the house of God. Because David knows that the presence of God is most found in the house of God. Therefore, the joy that you are made for is most found in the house of God. And that makes him erupt in gladness. For David, what happens in the house of God is better than what happens in the bedroom. What happens in the house of God is better than what happens when your favorite football team wins the Super Bowl. For David, the house of God and what happens there is better than what happens in Target. It is everything for him. Which is why he's praying for the city and praying for the house. Because he knows that in the house of God, when the presence of God is known, there is a joy. And that joy erupts for people with a love for God's house, which then transforms the city that the house of God is in. Do you want to know why that is? Because you will always obey what gives you the most joy. David has found his joy in the almighty God, therefore he's obeying the ways of God. And when you obey the ways of God and enough people obey the ways of God, it will transform an entire city. Jerusalem is called the city of peace. Literally, that's what it means. Jerusalem, shalom, means peace. Now, that means for you, your greatest problem in life is a joy problem. Your greatest problem in life is a joy problem in what you are trying to find joy in. Your greatest problem in life is a joy problem. And what you are trying to find joy in, because you always obey that which you find the most joy in. And this means, all of this means that joy begets joy. So if you find joy in God, you obey God. And then enough people find joy in God, obey God, and it builds something. It changes behaviors, it changes values, and it transforms a city. Which means it's really good for you, and it's really good for your family, and it's good for your friends, and you're flourishing. And so you get more joy. Peace in the Bible means flourishing spiritually, emotionally, socially, and culturally. Which means if you find the joy that you are made for, which is God, and you build your life around the life he's taught you to live, then you will flourish in all those ways. And that means if you are struggling spiritually, or emotionally, or socially, or culturally, it means you have a joy problem. It means you have a joy problem in what you're finding your joy in. Now, what's all that mean for us? Well, the New Testament equivalent for the house of the Lord is the church. The church is the place where you are meant to most experience the presence of God. I'm not talking about just Sunday morning. Sunday morning is an important part of it. 
but also in your discipleship groups, as you gather with the people of God in God's word. So we, like David, are glad to be in the church. We're praying for the church, and we're praying for the city that the church is in, because we know that if the church is flourishing in joy, then eventually the city will begin to flourish in joy and peace. Joy in God produces a love for the church, and that love for the church produces a healthy church, which seeks, which seeks the peace of the city by pointing the city to what will give them the most joy. And when that joy is discovered, it produces a flourishing city, which produces more joy for you. So many people will say to me that they can experience God more at the beach or in a boat, uh, fishing, but not for Bronson. Now, here's why that absolutely is not true. First... The only reason someone can encounter God in nature is because the church has told them about the God that they are encountering in nature. So don't destroy the thing that introduced you to God, first. Second, God's presence is most known when God's people gather around his word. The Bible will tell you that what, the way God reveals himself is in his word. Nature will prove that there's a God, but will not introduce you to that God. God's word lets you meet him. And then when you go out in nature, you have this combination of knowing the God who created all things, and so you look out at God's creation, and it fills you with joy because you get to encounter the thing that God has created, and you know him. And you look around at everything, and you say, I know the God who did all of this. He made me, I know him intimately, and this is, it just fills you with so much joy to see it. But none of that will happen for you if you do not know the God who is met in the word, and the way you know God by the word is through the church. Here's the third reason why the church is essential for you to meet God. You are called the image of God which means you are like a living, breathing mirror. Now, what defines a mirror? Whatever's standing in front of it. For you, whatever gives you the most joy as a mirror, that's what you face. We're joy-seeking creatures. So as a mirror, whatever you find your joy in, you face. And guess what? As a mirror, you reflect what you take most joy in out to the world around you. The church is a bunch of people as living, breathing mirrors finding all their joy in him and then reflecting God out to each other. And so you see God being reflected by the people of God within the church as we're gathered together. Therefore, the church is essential in order for you to meet God. Now, I do give the church in America a very hard time because I hate what has become. I want the church to be better. The church is in ashes in a lot of ways, but God always brings beauty up out of the ashes. Now, sometimes that means we don't give up on the church. Now, sometimes not giving up on the church means you're fighting the church. It means you're going to war against the church in order to transform the church. Jesus, who loves the church more than anyone in the history of the cosmos, who died for the church... The place in the New Testament where he appears to be the most angry to me is when he walks into the temple and he sees what's happening in there and he starts tipping over tables and he takes a whip and he starts whipping people. 
This is the man who's supposed to be the most loving man who's ever existed, and we're seeing him whipping people. Why? Because he so loves his church, and he knows that the church is the hope of the world because the church contains the thing that people long for, the joy that they are made for. So he goes crazy on the church in order for the church to be transformed so that the church might again become the hope of the world. So the question then becomes, well, why aren't you filled with a bunch of gladness and joy when you're on your way here? A joy that's so from the depths that even when your kids are going crazy on the way here, they can't take the joy away from you. Why aren't you experiencing that? Well, the church is where the word of God is, and the word gives you joy and gladness, so it could be on me. However, the church is more than just what's happening right now in this moment. The church is the people of God as the image of God, reflecting God to each other. My bet is that for King David, no matter how good or bad a sermon was, no matter how good or bad music is, he's going to find joy in God no matter where he goes and what group of people he's gathering with. So then what does that mean for you? Well, you have to understand that the road to finding that joy is found on the road. Like, the road is essential for all of this. So we got to go back to Psalm 120. Psalm 120 is about a disturbance in the soul. This was two weeks ago. And this disturbance in the soul has made you realize this world is not your home. Everything you want, everything you've dreamed of, everything you long for, you will not find fully here. You're made for another world. And so then you say to God, God, get me out of here. I'm ready. Take me home. And God's answer is no. You're staying right where you are because I don't want you to go on a physical pilgrimage yet. I want you on a spiritual pilgrimage. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. Seek the peace of those that are around you. And the degree that you seek their peace is the degree that they will bring war upon you. You're like, well, how does that help me with a spiritual pilgrimage? Well, because when someone's at war with you, you seek God all the greater. And then by seeking him, you discover him, the fount of your living joy. Therefore, that gives you peace. So no matter what kind of war the world brings upon you, you are steady in peace and joy. There's an image I've been thinking a lot about lately. It's the image of what makes a person glorious. To be glorious means to be weighty. So you take a raging river, and the raging river represents the culture and the world that we are in. And you take a Christian who doesn't have much strength to them, doesn't have much weight to them. They're not very glorious. They're like a little pebble at the bottom of the river being blown all around by this raging river. The world is dictating to them how they should live their life. But then you take a big boulder that represents someone who's really discovered joy and peace in Christ. They are not moved at all by that river. The river and all the culture ways and all the worldly ways are thrashing up against this boulder, but the boulder remains unmoved. And that's the type of person who seeks the peace of the city and the people that they are in. And if people bring war upon them, they are not moved by it. Their peace is not stolen and their joy is not stolen because they have the steady hand of God upon them. You are on a spiritual pilgrimage to become that person. Then we move on to Psalm 121. This, the idea of Psalm 20, 121 is, okay, you're going out the door. 
for your adventure, for your pilgrimage home. And as soon as you do, you've got what gives you the most joy in your eyes in the, in the distance. And you start making your way. And as you go, you discover that what stands before you and the joy you are made for is your greatest fear. And the only way to press on to the joy that you are made for is to walk right through your fear. It's like a test on the road. And the test is showing you what you actually have faith in. And if you turn back from your greatest fear and don't face it, then you lose out on your greatest joy and it shows you that you don't really trust God on the road. God wants you to trust him on the road. And, and what also happens is the difficulty of the road prepares your heart for the day that you finally arrive at the top of the mountain. The road makes you long for home even more so that when you do finally arrive, I'm finally here. Difficulties test you and prepare you for the celestial city. Now, go back. If you are not eager to come and gather with God's people on Sunday morning in your discipleship groups, then it's likely you aren't obeying God. It's likely that you have found a joy that is other than him. And you're, to let, and you're obeying that joy because if God is your greatest joy and you obey him, then that means you're going to be facing your fears on a weekly basis. That means you're going to be walking through trials on a weekly basis. That means there's going to be temptation all around you and you're going to be too weak to handle it and you're going to know it. And that means that you're going to be seeking the peace of the city that you are in and the people that you love around you. And they're going to bring war upon you. So if you aren't doing those things, then God becomes useless to you. The church becomes irrelevant to you. So why would you be excited to come here? But if you are obeying God, it's going to cause you to say, I am too weak to do this. I don't have a peace that can't be stolen from me. I don't have a joy that can't be stolen from me. I'm not that big boulder that's sitting in the raging sea that's unmoved. So what do I do? i got to go run to God. And the place I find him is in the house of God. And then I'm going to find him, and he's going to be my joy. And I always obey what I take the most joy in. And then as I'm obeying him, I'm going to rely on him, and he's going to give me peace no matter what kind of war is coming upon me. But if you don't think that, you'll never be excited about Sunday mornings or your discipleship groups. The goal of humanity was to take Eden and cover all the earth with Eden. That was the original goal. The goal now is to take the church, what the church is made of, the values, the behaviors in the church that are right and good, that are biblical, and take those and make them cover the earth. And that will bring a shadow of Eden. And there will be a day when you enter into the true celestial city of God. See, there's this thing that churches do where they call the church your home, and like that's true to a degree, but it's kind of an, a lie because it's a half-truth because this is not your home. This is meant to give you like a telescope to look into what is to come, to help you picture what is to come. So the, the church is like, hey, bunch of telescopes, Getting in God's word. We get the telescope and we're looking into the future. And that future is coming and inhabiting the present through hope. That's what the church is doing. So it's kind of your home. But it's also not. It means somehow this also. The degree that you are seeking the peace 
of the city around you and for the people around you and for your family. The degree that you seek the joy that is only found in him is the degree that you are even more joyful when you finally do arrive at the celestial city of God. The road makes the city of God all the greater because you're struggling along the way. You're striving along the way. You're longing for the place that when you finally arrive at, you say, this is home. This is a real home. While Psalm 122 is like a love song to the house of God and to the city of God, from David, Jesus also has a love song. He's a love song that he's written. And let me tell you what happens when Jesus writes a love song. He's the word made flesh. And so whatever he says, he comes to accomplish. He makes it literally happen. And so the love song of Christ goes like this. His father said to him, go to the earthly city. And it filled him with so much joy. Because when he looked upon the earthly city, he saw you here. And he looked at you and he said, they will one day be mine again. And he came rushing, rushing like a whirlwind into this earth to come and win you back over. And he knew what it would cost him. In order for you to get peace, he would lose it all. In order for you to have joy, he would be a man of sorrows. But he took the road anyways that would bring us home. And that road led him straight into hell, straight into the abyss, and straight into the darkness. And he entered into the city of destruction, the city of death, the city of hell. And there he destroyed the thing that keeps destroying your peace and your joy. And he took everything that had hold of you, that you made your joy that was a false joy that now owned you. And he made you be released from those things so you can finally find your joy in him. Now, only now, can you be that boulder that is unmoved, joy that remains, peace that remains. Go to him, and he will make you gloriously unmovable and unshakable. Let me end with this. It's a little poem, since we're getting creative right now. And it's, just, it's, just God, it's Christ. If he had a love song to you, perhaps it would sound like this. For you, I have come. For you, I have fought. You are my joy. In peace, I have wrought. The city is built with a hammer and nails that pierced through my flesh and tore through the veil. Through the blanket of death, peace has now come. The resurrection of joy, the church has now won. Father, make us into people who find every bit of the joy within us from you. And let us be a church that as we see our great joy in you, that we reflect you to the people that we love, the friends that we have in the church, so that they might see you even more too, so that we all together become this bright, shining city on a hill that is capturing and seeing finally the great image of joy in you found together as a people that though we were not we once were not your people now we are your people though we had not received mercy now we have received mercy and now we get to proclaim the excellencies of this marvelous light 
of joy that is found in you and you alone. We pray all this in Jesus' name.